0: Welcome to the Overcoming Adversity Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals that help listeners tackle the storms of life and become more resilient. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches, wherever you get your podcasts, or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. Over the past several decades, my wife has faithfully stood at our door to send our children off as they leave our home for school. Without exception, she would call to them—usually in her pajamas—and say, Stand up straight and smile, and remember who you are. You're a Richardson, a child of God. And then, without taking a breath, she would then say our family motto—reverence, respect, responsibility, resourcefulness, and then, with the excitement of a cheerleader, she would roll her arms and say the final word, RESOLVE. She can do it much better than I can. Oh, but wait. She was not quite yet finished. She would cap all of this off with an enthusiastic, BE A LIGHT. After hearing this charge nearly every day of their young lives, is it any wonder that this ritual has been forever ingrained in their memories? and quite possibly the memories of their friends and also our neighbors. With this image fresh in your mind, I would like to focus on the first part of my wife's simple but profound instruction to stand up straight and smile and remember who you are. BYU has impacted my ability to stand up straight, influenced why I smile, and greatly molded what I am today. I have been privileged to be part of this university as a student, a professor, and now an administrator for over three decades. Now I know what you're thinking, and yes, three decades is a very, very long time, and yes, I am very old. So after all of these years, you would think that I would know my way around campus, which I do. Understand more about honor and integrity from our honor code, which I do. Know both verses of the Cougar Fight Song, which I do, and know and enjoy BYU's history and culture, which I do. Yet there are certain things that I know about BYU that I earnestly hope that I will never, ever forget. President Ezra Taft Benson once said, quote, It is our privilege to store our memories with good and great thoughts and bring them out on the stage of our minds at will. End of quote. Sadly, remembering even the good and great thoughts can be difficult. Now, I'm confident that you, of all people, understand this well. After all, you have been taking quizzes and midterms lately and probably know that sick feeling where your head is like a balloon with a very small hole in it, and all of your preparation at the library is leaking out at an alarming rate as you make your way to the testing center. Oh, sure, you try and pump your head up quickly by reading through that stack of note cards that you have prepared as you walk, but you know deep down that all the good stuff is leaking out just as fast as you are putting it in. Now, there is great power in knowledge, but it seems that there is even greater power in remembering. President Spencer W. Kimball once asked, quote, When you look in the dictionary for the most important word, do you know what it is? He then answered, It could be, remember. End of quote. With everything that you have tucked away, there are some things that you should never forget, like wisdom. More than knowledge and facts, wisdom deals with applied knowledge, coupled with experience and good sense. It was Alma who admonished his son Helaman, Remember, my son, to learn wisdom in thy youth. No wonder President Kimball said, quote, "...our greatest need is to remember and emphasize that remember is the word, remember is the program." End of quote. So it is not usual, unusual for people to use strategies or objects to help them remember things that are important. Everyone knows about tying a string around one's finger, but I have never actually met anyone who has used this technique. Others use rhyming patterns, flashcards, repetition, or other devices to create, categorize, or even trigger a memory. And some people even save mementos. More than just a keepsake or a souvenir, a memento is an object with the sole purpose of helping one to remember. In fact, the word memento is from the Latin, which literally translated means remember, with an exclamation point at the end, no less. Because of this, I would like to share with you four four BYU mementos that continue to help me in my quest to stand up straight, smile, and remember who I am. Now I realize that some of you may be thinking, what is the value of this little show-and-tell at our devotional today? But please consider Elder Jeffrey R. Holland's counsel as my response to that question. Quote. We, have, uh, we who have already walked that portion of life's path that you are now on try to call back to you something of what we have learned. We shout encouragement. We try to warn of the pitfalls or perils along the way. Where possible, we try to walk with you and keep you close to our side. End of quote. So let's take a walk together. One treasured memory from my BYU past is this exam. In truth, of all of the hundreds of papers, quizzes, and exams from my undergraduate degree, this is the only academic memento that I saved from my entire undergraduate experience. This is a Chemistry 105 exam. My trophy. I vividly remember watching the professor hand back a big stack of exams to the person on the very front row and say, find your exam and pass the pile along. This was long before FERPA laws protecting privacy, so public humiliation or adoration, depending on how you performed, was always a looming possibility. When the stack came to me, I hastily retrieved my exam and hurried out of class. As I was walking out of the building, I glanced at the exam and I saw the number 76 scrawled across the top in red pen. Seventy-six? I questioned, seventy-six? I quickly stuffed the exam back into my backpack and I felt as if someone had punched me in the stomach. My mind raced and I started thinking that I obviously wasn't smart enough to be at BYU, for surely everyone else in the Chem 105 class scored much higher than I did. I envisioned in my mind my fellow classmates celebrating together at the Cougar Eat, toasting their success with chocolate milk. The number 76 kept flashing over and over in my mind as I walked to my apartment by going down the stairs south of campus to the botanical pond. Nearing the bottom of the stairs, I pulled this dreaded exam from my backpack, hoping that somehow I read my score incorrectly. But sure enough, that red 76 was still there. But then I noticed something that I hadn't seen before. My heart raced when I saw a little minus sign. You see, I didn't get a 76 on this exam. I missed 76. (laughs) (laughs) And sure enough, right here in the corner is the number 24. Surely, (laughs) surely this is the lowest score in BYU history given to someone who actually tried really hard to do well. I was so stunned that my first impulse was to jump into the botanical pond, swim to the bottom and hide from the entire world. Little did I know that the botanical pond was less than three feet deep. So that plan would have also received a score of 24 as it too would have been doomed to failure. Now. You may ask why in the world would you save this particular exam as your only memento of your BYU undergraduate academic experience? It's because this experience impacted and shaped me in significant ways—ways that I hope to never forget. Now I am not proud of failing or failing with such certainty. But what happened next, however, is something that I hope I will always remember. Somehow I resisted the urge to pack all of my belongings into my car and drive home and leave BYU and all of this humiliation in the rearview mirror. This was a time—about or this time—is when I came across across a quote that was attributed to Winston Churchill that read, quote, Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is courage—the courage to continue— that counts." End of quote. My mother used to tell her children that we were of pioneer stock. I wasn't sure if I really knew what that meant when I was younger, but I did know the stories about the crossing of the plains. They were usually filled with unbearable challenges, setbacks, and seemingly impossible odds. And at the end of the day, they circled their wagons, built a roaring fire, sang, and danced. Or at least that's the way that I remembered the stories. And what was their theme song? Come, come, ye saints. I always thought that this was a strange song for those who are hungry, fatigued, and at the brink of devastation. One verse, for example, reads, And should we die before our journeys through? Happy day! All is well. All is well? Anybody could see from these stories that all was not well. And just who were these people, anyway, that would sing such a song as a motivating cry? Well, apparently they were my people. And now, years later, they still help me to remember just who I am and what it means to be of pioneer stock. For example, I was sitting on the stand in a chapel in Europe one time singing Come, Come, Ye Saints. A leader leaned over and whispered to me, You know... The Czech translation of this song is quite different from the English version. Really? I countered. He said, it doesn't really read all is well, all is well. I looked at him somewhat surprised. The real translation, he said, is not so bad, not so bad. I couldn't help but quietly chuckle on the stand. And then I thought of all the pioneers that might not have always described their own circumstances as being all as well. But I could see how with their expanded vision and tremendous dedication that they could say, this is not so bad. Not so bad. And then, with a deep breath, they took yet another step and continued to forge on. Oh. To be of pioneer stock. Now, regardless of your heritage, we can all be pioneers, as I learned from one of my favorite primary songs. You don't have to push a handcart, leave your family dear, or walk a thousand miles or more to be a pioneer. You do have to have great courage, faith to conquer fear, and work with might for a cause that's right to be a pioneer. Oh, Not so bad. Not so bad. So I occasionally look at this exam and I remember that failure is not fatal and that it's the courage to continue that counts. I remember that every storm will eventually break if you just hold on long enough. I remember that learning is a process and not an event and that I could do difficult things even when it takes more time than I have and additional strength and effort. Most importantly, I am reminded that life is not determined by a singular performance. And there are times when we need, as my wife so eloquently taught our children, to remember who we are and to stand up straight. No slouching, no shrinking, and no wilting. Just stand up straight, smile, and remind ourselves that it's not so bad, and then move on. My next memento came from my graduate studies at BYU several years later. Upon receiving my master's degree, we held a family celebration. As I was running out of our home to the party with my new degree in hand, I had an epiphany. Without thinking, I went to the workbench and I cut my degree into two. I drove to the party and I handed my wife this half of my degree. She looked somewhat stunned and asked, What's this? Well, it's my master's degree, I said. You sawed your master's degree in half? She asked incredulously. By the look at her face and the sound of her voice, it was only then that I realized that this may not have been one of my better ideas. (laughs) I explained that even though this degree had my name on it, that it was just as much hers as it was mine that she worked just as hard as I did and deserved at least, at least half of the credit. But 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 you cut it in half, she said again. Now why do you think I would keep a half a degree on my shelf? Because I always want to remember that everything worthwhile comes with the help of others. You see, life is a collaborative endeavor and success. Genuine success is always attributable to a lot more people than just you. So, will you please ask for help? Will you look for support? Seek for those who cheer you on and support you, that will celebrate with you, and even those who will push you to be more than you are at this very moment. And will you please be that person for others? Carl G. Mazur used to tell the students at Brigham Young Academy be yourself, but always your better self. I feel we need more Carl G. Mazurs in our life. We need to smile more, encourage more, and help one another more. This is, after all, who we are. Now, every fall, I read the BYU foundational documents a compilation of talks about BYU—who we are, or at least who we must become. This fourth memento includes talks by Carl G. Mazur and past presidents of BYU, from Franklin S. Harris to our current president, Kevin J. Worthen. You will also find the mission statement and the aims of a BYU education and many addresses by prophets, seers, and revelators. I do this every fall, so I will never forget that at the core of this university are revelations, dreams, and visions. Now, There is one particular story from this memento that I would like to highlight. In 1915, BYU was in dire financial difficulties and was preparing to sell the very land where our campus now stands. The commencement speaker, a student by the name of Alfred Kelly, was given an assignment to promote selling the property in his speech. But he was troubled by the idea, and early one morning he walked to the land that was to be sold and he prayed. And then it happened. He saw what he called a strange vision with, quote, thousands of young people who approached me with their arms laden with books. Kelly then continued, I turned around to find an area behind me illuminated as well. In that light I saw hundreds of billions buildings, large and beautiful temples of learning. Those young people passed by me and entered in. Then, with cheerfulness and confidence, they turned towards the east and lifted their eyes heavenward, where, again becoming part of the sunlight, they gradually disappeared from my view. End of quote. He decided to share this experience in his commencement speech instead of promoting the idea of selling the land. After sharing the experience in his comments, he sat down, and everyone present was silent. I've always loved the way that Jeffrey R. Holland told what happened next. He said, quote, Longtime BYU benefactor Jesse Knight jumped to his feet and shouted, We won't sell an acre. We won't sell a single lot. And then he turned to President George Brimhall and pledged several thousand dollars to the future of the university, end of quote. But why was this experience and this vision so important? Was, it Ke- was Kelly's vision of BYU's future needed only to inspire and motivate those like Jesse Knight to invest in a BYU with confidence and to ensure its future? If so, this reminds me of a movie about an Iowa farmer working in his fields when he, when he heard a voice say, if you build it, he will come. He then saw a vision of a baseball uh, uh, field appear in his cornfields. So perhaps the vision of Alfred Kelly was akin to Ray Kinsella's vision in the cornfield. If you build BYU, they will come. And build it they did. And thousands did come. So was the ultimate goal only to ensure that one future day degrees would be awarded, jobs would be eventually secured, and one's eventual contacts on LinkedIn would overflow. Well... If this is what you think, then I would ask you to consider Kelly's visions more carefully. It is true that his vision did describe A-B-Y-U, with thousands of young people laden with books entering into large and beautiful buildings. In this way, it was a vision, a crystal ball view, if you will, showing that this educational enterprise was going to all work out in the end. But I believe that Alfred Kelly's vision was much more than just saving the campus— I believe that it defined our campus as well. You see, Kelly not only saw future buildings, but he purposefully described them, as did Carl G. Mazur in a previous vision, as temples of learning. And this was not all. Those temples of learnings were illuminated by light. 60 years later, President Spencer W. Kimball said that all subject matter at this university should be, quote, bathed in the light and color of the restored gospel." With all of this in mind, I feel that BYU aptly fits a descriptor that Hiram Smith once used to describe his own family's household. In the fall of 1829, Solomon Chamberlain visited the Smith family farm in Palmyra, New York to inquire about a gold Bible and heavenly visitors. Upon entering the Smith's house, Solomon Chamberlain asked, Is there anyone here that believes in visions? or revelations, Hiram Smith was the first to respond and he said, yes, we are a visionary house. I've always imagined that Hiram was standing up straight and smiling when he said that. But consider Hiram's words carefully. Note that he did not say, this is a visionary house. But he specifically said, we are a visionary house. The emphasis here is not on the house, as important as that may be. Hiram underscored that the occupants created a visionary house. With this in mind, consider Alfred Kelly's vision once again. More than just buildings on a campus, he saw future BYU students. I believe that it is very likely that Alfred Kelly may have seen you. And you were coming out of those temples of light with cheerful cheerfulness and confidence, and you turned toward the east, and you lifted your eyes heavenward. I love this imagery. And if you stand on our campus and you turn to the east, what do you see? The mountains. In his inaugural address, President Kevin J. Worthen taught um, that, quote, mountains are places of spiritual communication and revelation— Close quote. What a beautiful setting we learn and discover. And the very posturing of students who are lifting their eyes heavenward invokes in my mind images of other learners lifting their eyes heavenward, as seen in this painting. Now, finally, it must not be lost on us that Alfred Kelly was a student at the time and his impactful vision, it is rather astonishing to think that such a dream was had by a visionary student about future visionary students. Every time I read BYU's foundational documents, I am reminded that this is a place of revelation and vision. John Tanner, former BYU academic vice president, once said, quote, over the years, thousands of individuals have contributed to the dream of BYU. Every year new students and faculty add their particular hopes and dreams to our collective vision." End of quote. Thus, all of us must continue seeking enlightenment, pursuing revelation, and dreaming dreams for our own future as well as for the future of this university. Where there is no vision, the proverb reads, the people perisheth. Finally, one last memento from my BYU experience. Every computer that I have owned for the past 29 years has had the same screensaver. It is a scrawling custom message that reads, You Gotta Believe. This memento helps me recall something I hope to always remember. While there are many more details to this experience, I will offer an abridged version due to our limited time together. At the beginning of my senior year here at BYU, I began worrying whether I was making the right decision about my future. I was taking entrance exams for graduate programs and even submitting applications. But nothing felt right. To uh, To find some guidance, I interviewed doctors, lawyers, businessmen, and businesswomen, and pretty much everybody that had a pulse and a job. But nothing clicked. Lisa and I started fasting and praying for direction, but nothing happened, so we kept on fasting and praying. One day in the fall, Lisa asked me if there was anyone who could possibly help me that I hadn't already talked with. Without a moment's hesitation, I said, yes! If I could only talk to the president of BYU—who was then Jeffrey R. Holland—that would clear everything up. So Lisa, who possesses more passion, compassion, and faith than Joan of Arc, Mother Teresa, and Esther of the Old Testament combined, said, then you should go talk to him. (laughs) Are you crazy? I thought. And what would I say? Um, excuse me, president. I am one of the 30,000 plus students here at BYU. Will you please tell me what I should major in? Oh, please. So instead, I muddled my way through the next seven months or so trying to figure all of this out, and I couldn't seem to quite get my bearings. I felt as if I was in a fog, and I felt as if everyone else was receiving revelation, direction, and filled with heavenly confidence. The irony was that while I knew God would answer the prayers of anyone who asked with sincere intent, I began wavering in knowing that He would answer my prayers. And now, when it seemed like it mattered the very most, I felt a little alone, abandoned, and even hopeless at times. I reached the point that I didn't care so much about what I did for a living in the future as much as I cared about receiving divine direction and confirmation. It was clear that I wasn't standing up straight. My hands were hanging down, and my feeble needs, or knees needed strengthening. So with just a several weeks prior to my graduation, I attended my senior capstone class in the basement of the Jesse Knight Building. As I prepared to leave the building after class, I noticed there was a crowd that was gathering at the west doors, so I worked my way to the front of the doors and discovered the reason no one was leaving was because it was raining. It was a complete downpour. Having taught at the MTC earlier that day, I was dressed in a suit, and I can almost hear myself saying, typical, typical as I looked outside at the rainstorm, knowing that I would have to walk home in it. I put a Daily Universe newspaper over my head, and I started running through the parking lot. The newspaper turned to a pulpy mush, and I was soaked almost immediately. So I walked—very slowly. I might as well catch pneumonia and be sent to the hospital, I thought. Make the most of the experience. I was truly in a blue mood and felt very down. As I walked past the Brimhall building, I heard someone yell out, "'You need this more than I do!' And I looked across the street, and there was President Holland holding up an umbrella. I offered an exchange of my backpack for his umbrella, and he responded by opening the rear passenger door of his car and offering me a ride home. I ran across the street, got in, and immediately created a puddle of water on their back seat. Sister Holland, who was already in the car, greeted me as President Holland got into the driver's seat. "'Where can I take you?' President Holland asked as he looked at me through the rearview mirror. My wife and I were managing apartments south of campus at the time, and I kind of hesitated in telling him where I lived because I didn't think he would be very impressed. But with the president of the university looking at me in the eye, albeit through the rearview mirror, I confessed the name of the complex. And President and Sister Holland chuckled, and President Holland said, Pat and I managed those apartments when we were undergraduates at BYU. I was stunned and speechless. My tiny brain couldn't comprehend that President Jeffrey R. Holland actually lived in the same apartment that I was living in. Impossible. You see, I had long admired President Holland and had placed him and Sister Holland in the born with a life category. I imagined that his life was charmed from the very beginning. Perfect high school athlete, perfect missionary, perfect wife, perfect president, just perfect. Perfect. So to think that I actually lived in the same apartment, incomprehensible, incomprehensible. Are you married? They asked. Yes, I answered with my head still spinning. Do you have children? We have a son, I said. Our, firstborns, our first son was born while we lived and managed those apartments, they explained. Really? I managed to blurt out, that's the best I could do. Really? We started driving south on Campus Drive past the Mazer building. As I sat in this car, I I suddenly realized that seven months previous, I told my wife that if I could only talk to President Holland, then I was confident I could receive helpful direction. And here I was sitting in a car with him. I mustered my courage and I asked, did you ever worry about your future? Oh, yes, he replied. I was actually stunned. And all I, could answer, all I could say was, really? After all, I thought this was a man who had never had a worry in his entire life. I asked several other questions and found my response to every answer to be, really? I finally asked. President Holland Have you ever been so discouraged that you didn't know if things would ever work out? Did you ever worry that you might not make it after all? He looked at me through the rearview mirror and answered again to my surprise. Yes, I did. True to the pattern of our conversation thus far. I managed an incredulous "Really?" "Really?" I recall Sister Holland saying, "Yes, Matt, really." We drove to my complex, and I didn't give him any directions, and we moved and I moved toward the car door to get out. But President Holland put the car in park, and he and Sister Holland turned in their seats to face me, and we talked. At one point in our conversation, he said, Matt, part of your problem is is that you don't believe. I admit I felt a little badly as if my testimony was was considered to be subpar. Oh, he said, I'm not talking about your testimony. You just believe that God will work his mighty miracles for everyone but you. And his assessment was actually right. And then he said, with his typical fervor, you got to believe, Matt. you got to believe. He then offered some more sound counsel, heaps of encouragement, and I got out of the car. I stood and waved until they were out of sight. Upon entering my, our apartment, I shared this experience with my wife, and we wept together. And we wrote the experience down so we would always remember. So why the screensaver? Well, I have always, I will always be grateful for President and Sister Holland. I want to make sure that I never forget that God is aware of each of us. I want to remember every day, or perhaps every three minutes, when the screensaver comes back on, that every day that BYU is a place where students can turn to the mountains, look heavenward, and be filled with light. This is who we are, and I want to remember every day that no matter what happens, you got to believe. Twelve years after my ride home in the rainstorm, Elder Holland, in a general conference address, reflected on a personal experience when he was discouraged and unsure about his own future. He offered himself this advice, which brought back memories and renewed my own resolve, Elder Holland said, quote, don't give up, boy. Don't you quit. You keep walking. You keep trying. There is help and happiness ahead. A lot of it. 30 years of it now and still counting. You keep your chin up. It will be all right in the end. Trust God and believe in good things to come. End of quote. I hope you will forgive me for being very personal today. At the same time, I hope you will understand that a BYU education is personal, or at least it should be personal. I realize that your BYU mementos may not be exactly like mine. I am confident, however, that they are probably similar, at least in principle. I testify that as challenging as it may seem, with faith and diligence, It really is not so bad, not so bad. I testify that if you seek help and invite others into your life, then your life will be fuller, your success will be more meaningful, and you will find peace. I testify that BYU is a place for visions, your visions, and that God will answer your prayers. It may take months, years or however long is required for you to openly receive his answers, but the vision will surely come. You gotta believe, you gotta believe. I especially hope that you will stand up straight and smile and remember who you are. You are Brigham Young University. So reverence, respect, responsibility, And yes, resolve. Be a light. Don't you ever forget it. In the name of our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Our dear, gracious Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we could gather here together today and to hear these words. Please bless us that we may remember who we are and remember why we came to this great university, that we may become a light and let the why to continually light us. We are grateful for our Savior, Jesus Christ, and all that he has done for us. Please let us rely on him so that we may overcome our challenges and our rainy storms ahead. We love thee with all our hearts, mind, and strength, and we say these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to the Overcoming Adversity Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage by study and by faith. Come follow me, the Prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on Podcasts for more information.